Hi, friends, and welcome back to my book review podcast. This is season three, episode 22 of the Unknown Friends podcast, and I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wayne Productions. Thank you so much for joining me today for the beginning of our eighth and final trilogy of the year, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. Back when I first started planning this season and choosing what trilogies I wanted to review and in what order, the Space Trilogy was at the very top of my list. I knew I wanted to discuss it, and I knew I wanted to save it for the end of the year as kind of the season finale, because... Well, partly because I just love it so much, partly because I seem to have started a tradition on the podcast of ending each season with C.S. Lewis, and partly because the Space Trilogy was actually influenced somewhat by one of the other trilogies we discussed earlier this year, and I hope to talk about that influence a little bit. So for all those reasons, here we are today starting our three-part series on this wonderful science fiction trilogy by C.S. Lewis. I've discussed Lewis many times before on the podcast, so I'm not going to go into his biography. Um, the highlights of it are fairly widely known anyway, and if you're interested in any of my earlier discussions of Lewis's life and work, you can find them in previous seasons of the podcast. Um, last year in season two, I reviewed The Screwtape Letters in episode 10 and The Chronicles of Narnia in episodes 34 through 40. And then back in season one, I reviewed Till We Have Faces in my very first episode ever, and The Great Divorce in season one, episode 30. So we've done lots of Lewis on the podcast already, but there is more to discuss, and I hope you enjoy hearing some of my thoughts about the Space Trilogy. So the three volumes of the Space Trilogy are titled Out of the Silent Planet, Paralandra, and That Hideous Strength and Lewis wrote and published them in the 1930s and 40s. This was some of his earliest published fiction. Really, the only piece of fiction of any length that he had previously published was The Pilgrim's Regress in 1933, um, just a couple years after he'd become a Christian. The Space Trilogy established his reputation as a fiction writer. And it marked the beginning of his really prolific period of writing that lasted a solid 20 years. He'd already established himself as a scholar by the late 1930s. He'd been teaching at Oxford since 1925, and he had published some academic work before the Space Trilogy appeared. But the Space Trilogy was a bit of a surprise to the public, given its genre of science fiction. This was not really the type of fiction one would expect from an Oxford Don whose specialty was medieval and Renaissance literature. But, um, as we'll see, medieval and Renaissance literature was deeply influential on all of C.S. Lewis's writing, including his science fiction novels. So the story goes that C.S. Lewis was inspired to write this space trilogy after a conversation with his friend J.R.R. Tolkien in which the two of them were complaining about the state of contemporary literature. No modern authors seemed to be writing the kind of stuff they wanted to read. This is the 1930s, 
the world looks rather bleak, and so bleak literary modernism is in full swing, and Lewis and Tolkien just thought the old stories were better. And the genre of science fiction was also becoming popular at this point, and Lewis had read science fiction throughout the years, for instance, the work of H.G. Wells, and he enjoyed some of it, but he thought that the sci-fi of his day, by and large, was deeply flawed. The worldview being presented in most sci-fi was dehumanizing and diametrically opposed to many of the beliefs that Lewis held most dearly. So Lewis and Tolkien talked and agreed to try their hands at science fiction. Lewis would write a space travel story and Tolkien would write a time travel story. Both began, only Lewis finished, I suppose that's not entirely surprising. Tolkien is awesome, but his writing was always slow and perfectionistic. But Lewis wrote his story, and it became Out of the Silent Planet, the first book in the Space Trilogy. And it led to two more books a few years later, and so this sort of casual idea of writing a good science fiction story developed into the writing of a trilogy, which established Lewis as a fiction writer and also changed the genre of sci-fi as we know it. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Lewis redeemed sci-fi in some sense. Before the space trilogy, science fiction was often at least perceived as cheap and gimmicky, and not really worthy to be called literature in a serious sense. Sci-fi wasn't art. Or in the instances when sci-fi was perhaps well-written, it was so often written in opposition to a Christian worldview. So Lewis offered an alternative. His trilogy is among the earliest serious science fiction, or literary science fiction. He humanized and elevated sci-fi, and what's more, he demonstrated how to write Christian sci-fi. Also, just as a side note, um, to give full credit to Tolkien, you could say that in a similar way, he redeemed the genre of fantasy. So, Out of the Silent Planet was published in 1938, when Europe was just on the brink of World War, and the themes of this novel actually pertain to some of the events and ideology of World War II. The sequel, Paralandra, came out in 1943, and the third book, That Hideous Strength, was published in 1945. Now, the three books each tell a complete, distinct story, but the stories are certainly connected in many ways, and it's far more satisfying to read the whole trilogy than to settle for just one or two of the books. The hero is the same in books one and two, and he is an important character, though not the main character in book three, and some other characters overlap as well. The hero of Out of the Silent Planet is named Dr. Elwyn Ransom, and he's a professor at Cambridge, a philologist. Many readers have said that Dr. Ransom seems to be sort of a mix of Lewis and Tolkien in his personality and skills and interests. His field being philology, of course, makes us think of Professor Tolkien. 
who had a big influence on the writing of Out of the Silent Planet. Um, but in any case, Ransom is a professor, and as the book opens, we learn that he's on a walking tour through the English countryside, and he's trying to find a place to stay the night, but isn't having much luck. Eventually, he luckily happens across an old schoolmate of his, Dick Devine, who is staying with a colleague, Dr. Weston, at his country house as they're working on some secret scientific project together. Well, very quickly, things turn upside down for Dr. Ransom, who suddenly finds himself kidnapped by Weston and Divine and loaded into a spaceship, and the three of them head out into outer space. During the voyage, Ransom overhears Divine and Weston talking at one point, and it seems like they're headed to some other planet, and Ransom is going to be handed over as a kind of peace offering to the aliens, presumably to be made a human sacrifice out of. So Ransom resolves within himself to try to run away as soon as they land on this planet, rather than wait and be sacrificed to aliens. Of course, running away on a strange planet could mean all kinds of other dangers, and it'll probably mean losing access to the spaceship and being stranded on the planet forever. But Ransom doesn't have many options, so he chooses to try to rely on his survival skills. So this is what he does. They land on this very strange-looking planet. Everything seems unusually vertical, tall and thin. The plants, the animals, even uh, like the waves on the water. And it could be that all this is due to the lesser gravitational pull this planet seems to have than Earth has. But at any rate, they land, they soon get a glimpse of some kind of alien creatures in the distance, and Ransom makes a run for it. He gets free of his captors and goes as fast and far as he can, with no idea where he's going or what he might find in the way of food or shelter or alien species, perhaps. Well, eventually he does come across an alien species, if you can call it that, a kind of rational creature, anyway, that we certainly don't have on Earth. By the look of them, he would have assumed they were animals, but he soon learns that they are called Hrasa, and they are fully sentient and rational. In fact, they're even poets. Ransom finds the Hrasa to be welcoming creatures, and they teach him as much as they can of their way of life and their language, which fascinates him as a philologist. And over time, Ransom finds himself actually becoming part of the Hrasa community, much to his surprise. However, though he lives peaceably with the Hrasa for a while, he hears tell of another race of creatures on this planet, the Sorns, which he suspects to be more powerful and less kindly than the Hrasa. And on top of that... Weston and Devine are presumably still at large somewhere and are probably trying to hunt Ransom down in order to recapture him and hand him over to the Sorns. So before the end of the story, Ransom will have to confront some of his greatest fears if he hopes to survive, much less ever return home to Earth again. So that is the setup of the story of Out of the Silent Planet. Now, I will say, 
when I started reading this book for the very first time back when I was in high school, I did not find the story's premise particularly captivating. It actually took me, I think, four or five tries to get past the first chapter or two. Now, this could be slightly due to the fact that this is some of Lewis's earliest fiction, but that said, he was already a good and experienced writer, so I don't think much blame can be laid at his door. Mostly, I think I was just not an experienced enough reader at that time, um, because rereading Out of the Silent Planet years later, I have not found it boring or hard to get back into. Even so, I will say I have always thought the three books of the Space Trilogy get progressively more interesting and easier to get drawn into. So while I do find Out of the Silent Planet fascinating, I think Lewis ups his game even more in Paralandra and That Hideous Strength. But more on those two next time. For now, let's talk about some of the key features of book one. As in pretty much all of his fiction, in the Space Trilogy, Lewis chose to tell a fantastical kind of story, which is not meant to be taken literally. In this case, a story about a Cambridge professor who gets kidnapped by a mad scientist and transported through space to Mars, where he meets aliens. I would call that fantastical. But, as always, though Lewis doesn't want us to take his story literally, he does want us to see, through it, realities about our own world and lives. His outlandish story serves to give us an outside view of the reality we do experience. This is true of his other books like um, The Great Divorce and The Screwtape Letters and even Narnia to some extent, and it's true here of the Space Trilogy. He's not, you know, speculating about the existence of alien races. He just allows us to meet imaginary alien creatures in order to see ourselves in a new light. So with that in mind, what kind of new light does he shed on us here? Well, let's consider the book's title first, Out of the Silent Planet. Ransom, during his time on Mars, learns that the planet Earth is known there as the Silent Planet, or Thulkandra, in the language of the Frosa, which Ransom also learns is a kind of original universal language that is spoken on many planets, but which Earth has lost all knowledge of. So Earth is called Thulkandra, the silent planet. Why? Because, essentially, of the Christian narrative of the fall. First, the fall of the angel of light, Lucifer, and then, of course, the fall of man. Ransom, who is a Christian, wonders when he finds himself among the Hrasa if it's his duty to evangelize and convert them to Christianity. But to his amazement, he eventually realizes that what he had always thought of as his Christian religion is actually just reality. And the Hrasa already know all about it. Well, that is to say, they don't really know um, what all has taken place on earth as far as the New Testament story, but they know God. 
the, the real one God, and they know Christ, and they know his angels. In fact, Ransom learns each planet has its own guardian angel of sorts called an Oyarsa. And the reason why Earth is the silent planet is because it's Oyarsa, or angel Lucifer, went bad thousands of years ago, and he cut off communication with the other planets and their good guardians. So what Lewis accomplishes here is an outside view of our whole world and our history. No, we're not supposed to take literally all the ideas about other planets having inhabitants and guardian angels, but those things create this setup in which we're able to see Christianity as so much more than just a creed or a ritual. It is the explanation for all of life. It explains good and evil, and it answers our questions about who we are and how we fit into God's universe. So that, I think, is one of the first fundamental takeaways from Out of the Silent Planet. The other main theme I want to mention is something that's still relevant today and was deeply relevant when the book was first published. Dr. Weston, the mad scientist who kidnapped Ransom, has a philosophy that is very disturbing but sounds almost lofty and noble. He believes that everything he does is for the good of mankind. He has built his spaceship to explore new planets, ultimately in order to invade and conquer new worlds for humans to take over and inhabit. He says that the planet Earth will die eventually, but if he can enable man to live on other planets, then man won't have to die out. So that's his mission. Subordinate or eliminate other races to secure the survival of his own. And he is willing to justify any means to achieve this end. So genocide, clearly, is one of his aims. The complete annihilation of inhabitants of other planets. He doesn't care that they are rational beings with souls, just like man. They're not of the human race, so he won't hesitate to destroy them. This is, of course, horribly wrong. Um, in real life, obviously, we're not dealing with alien, non-human races, but this exact same philosophy is applied against different kinds of humans. Hitler applied this thinking in the Holocaust. America applies this thinking against the unborn. Even the character Dr. Weston applies it against more than just alien species. At the very start of the book, interestingly, before he decides to kidnap Ransom, his initial plan is to kidnap a young local boy who is a little bit slow mentally, but Weston's colleague, Dick Devine, convinces him to take Ransom instead. But this is what Weston says of the boy after he reluctantly agrees to Devine's alternative. Weston says, The boy was ideal, incapable of serving humanity, and only too likely to propagate idiocy. He was the sort of boy who, in a civilized community, would be automatically handed over to a state laboratory for experimental purposes. That is the horrible reality of Weston's philosophy. 
He claims to be some kind of hero of humanity, committed to the survival of mankind at any cost. But survival for him means only survival of the fittest. So the result is that those who don't meet Weston's standards have absolutely no value in his eyes. This is the ideology that C.S. Lewis already saw developing back in the 30s, and he forcefully counters it in Out of the Silent Planet. One of the best scenes in the whole book, I think, is this scene near the end when Weston and Ransom, the villain and the hero, are thrown together again after Ransom has been with the Hrasa for a while, and they are together in the presence of the Oyarsa, the angelic protector of the planet Mars. And Weston is doing his very best to proudly proclaim his philosophy to the Oyarsa, but he understands very little of the language the Martians speak. But Ransom, the philologist, has picked up a great deal of it, and so Ransom ends up acting as translator for Weston. And so Lewis gives us, the readers, both sides. We hear Weston's whole exalted, arrogant speech about humans being uh, the heirs of the universe and how they'll take over the galaxy one planet at a time and destroy all the ignorant, unscientific species who inhabit the other planets. And he just goes on and on. And then when we hear Ransom's translation, and he's doing as well as he can, but many of Weston's concepts Ransom has to put in quite different terms because of the disparity between the languages. And the translation is honestly profound, because it puts all of Weston's ideas in raw, unfiltered terms. When Weston talks in English about breaking down obstacles and pressing forward without fear, Ransom simply and truthfully translates this as killing the inhabitants of other planets and feeling no pity. And in addition to Ransom's enlightening translation, occasionally Weston gets so fed up with the necessity of having a translator that he tries to communicate by himself in the Martian language, but he knows so little of it that it's absolutely pathetic and childish. It's really comical, in fact, to hear him try. You get, you know, snatches like, me, wise, new man, no believe all that old talk. And so the irony of this grandiose scientist speaking with the grammar and vocabulary of a toddler is exactly what we need to recognize how foolish and wrong his philosophy truly is. So, um, in sum, those are a couple of the most prominent themes in Out of the Silent Planet. And as we'll see as we go along, they really set up the rest of the trilogy well. In the sequels, Lewis returns to and builds on many of the ideas he's exploring here. Um, now, I'm running out of time in this episode, but one of the things I hope to talk about next time is the way in which the Space Trilogy can be understood as a bit of an echo of Dante's Divine Comedy. This is the trilogy I mentioned at the beginning of today's episode that had a significant influence on Lewis's fiction. And of course, we discussed the Divine Comedy at length earlier this year on the podcast. 
And honestly, it's hard to get away from Dante in any discussions of any Western literature that was written after him. His work was so deeply impactful. And Lewis personally had a great respect for Dante. He really loved the Divine Comedy, and the three books of the Space Trilogy have some interesting structural parallels to the three parts of Dante's poem, Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso. So I hope we'll have time to discuss some of those parallels in our next episode. For now, this must conclude our discussion of Out of the Silent Planet, and I hope you'll join me again in two weeks when we take a look at the incredible second book of this trilogy, Paralandra. As always, I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions, and if you ever want to learn more about me and my writing, you can visit my website, kittywhamproductions.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.